0: I think we've all got our Bibles open. That's good. Um, I'll be reading. We're starting with our memory verse, so it should all be uh, familiar. Uh, and uh, Colossians 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears, who is your life? When Christ, who is your life, appears, uh, then you will also appear with you in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature: sexual immorality, uh, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways uh, in the life you once lived, but now. You must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, uh, in the image of God, Uh, sorry, Sorry. and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the, peace of, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only with their eye on you, uh, sorry, when their eye is on you and uh, to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, (coughs) not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven.
1: Thanks for that, Tim. Good morning again, everyone. Let's, uh, let's start by praying. Our gracious Father, uh, we are thankful for this new day. Uh, thank you for this uh, wonderful place, uh, this peaceful place, an opportunity to uh, get away and uh, leave the worries of the world behind for a moment uh, and to immerse ourselves in your word. My Father, I just pray now that as we consider this um, wonderful chapter of Colossians that you would help us to take it to heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Alright, we've been thinking a bit about movies um, this weekend. I wonder if uh, you can tell me where this is from. Who am I? Scott. (laughs) Does that ring any bells? Yes, Zoolander. Zoolander, there you go. Derek Zoolander, the great existential philosopher. Uh, (laughs) You remember that, that moment in the movie where he just looks into, his, into the reflection, who am I? Uh, this idea of um, personal identity uh, is something that has uh, become one of our society's most um, contentious issues, uh, really. And, uh, and there's a book that's been written just recently by a fellow called Brian Rosner, and it's called How to Find Yourself. Uh, and in that book, uh, Rosner says, knowing who you are and being true to yourself have never been more important than in the 21st century. And So I think our culture has developed uh, this deep obsession with itself, uh, particularly the individualised self, or what some people are calling the buffered self. Uh, what does that mean? What's, what's the buffered self? Well, the buffered self is basically the self-defined self. Uh, when you hear people say things like, I am who I say I am, and no one can tell me differently. That's, that's an example of the buffered self. Or you know this whole idea of the you-do-you the you culture that we, we're sitting in now. That, that's kind of an expression of the Buff itself. Uh, and what the Buff itself is trying to do is, is it's trying to reject the influence of every external factor in understanding who you are as a person. And so things like uh, cultural norms, traditional values, social expectations, what your parents have, have said to you, religion, even our legal system, all of these things are seen as obstacles to who you really are. And so, and so we want to buffer ourselves from them. That's, that's what the buffer self is, is saying. They're, they're impediments uh, to giving you the full, fullest experience of your life. And so that's what the buffer self is trying to do, rigorous, rigorously and vigorously uh, setting those things aside and resisting them. And, and I want to say this mindset, it's really, it's significantly shaping our society today, and it's changing things at a rapid rate of knots, especially in the law, areas of law and ethics. Uh, generally speaking, our legal system has been built on the Judeo-Christian ethic of love. Uh, we're all quite familiar with that, the idea of giving ourselves up for others. Uh, that's traditionally what has, what has been happened. But uh, And this, within this system, within our legal system, the, the, the primary concern of our legal system is the obligations that we all have to each other for society's well-being, and so traditionally, the formation of law in our society—it's it, it, typically put society above self. Uh, that's that's how it's worked. But you see, this buffered self mindset is flipping that upside down, and so we have this situation now where what is best for society often comes second to what is perceived to be best for self. Uh, So things are are being turned upside down. So what's fueling all this? Well, there's a whole bunch of things. And I'd really encourage you to read Brian Rosner's book to find out more. But one of the things that I want to suggest to you this morning is is this. I, I want to suggest that the one thing that underpins all of this is how our society views death. Because how you understand death is going to motivate every single thing you do in life. (laughs) It's no coincidence that the you-do-you culture of 2023 has come on the back of the you-only-live-once culture of 2013. YOLO. Carpe diem. You only live once. Life's short. Play hard. Eat, drink and be merry. For tomorrow, we die. So death just motivates Everything we do in in life. And I think this is where Colossians 3 uh, really comes in and speaks so powerfully and so wonderfully uh, to all of us. Because if death does shape everything we do in life, then Christ's defeat of death has to turn all of that upside down, doesn't it? You only live once, has no power anymore. (laughs) And you do you gets turned on its head. So I've got a very simple structure for this, uh, this passage today that we're going to look through. Three parts. Christ is your life, so don't live as you were, live as you are. That's what we're going to look at. So let's look uh, first of all, Christ is your life, verses 1 to 4, our memory verse. Uh, so good. Thank you for taking so much time to remember this. I think these verses encapsulate what Colossians is all about. So take a look at that. One, that with me from verse 1. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, yesterday we thought a lot about uh, the fullness that we have in Christ. In Christ we have died. In Christ we have been buried. In Christ we have been raised to new life. And that is the way we are to understand ourselves now as Christians, resurrected, uh, died, buried, raised. And because of that... Paul says that we are to set our hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, in this position of authority, in this position of living. Christ's not dead. He's alive. He's ruling. He's in a position of supreme authority. And Paul wants you and me to stamp that picture in our minds. Visualise it. In my kids' school, and maybe you guys have um, have experienced this a bit, but at my kids' school they talk a lot about this idea of a growth mindset. Oh. Yeah, you've got to have a growth mindset. Oh. Growth mindset. Oh. <laughs> oh. I can see that that triggers some responses. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I reckon what Paul is urging us here is not to have a growth mindset, but a glory mindset. To to set your minds in glory. Uh, But you see, very importantly, he is encouraging us to adopt that (coughs) mindset together as a community, as as a church. We lose it a bit in our English translations, but all the verbs here are in the plural. And so he's not just speaking to you as an individual, although that is what he is doing, you have a part to play in this, but he is speaking to individuals who have been brought together as one body. And so this glory mindset is one that you each need to have individually as part of the whole. And the more each of you adopt that individually and together, the more you're gonna be helping one another out. Uh, as Christians, I don't think we spend enough time thinking about heaven. And I don't think we think about, well, I don't think we spend enough time actually recognising that that's our true home. Uh, but we should, because that is where our treasure is. And so that's where our heart should be also. That's where our life is. And so that's what we're living for. And that's what Paul's getting at. It's all about we are where we're directing our desires and where we understand our, our true self to be. Have a glory mindset. Now, he goes on to say, doesn't he, that we're to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. And how wonderful was it to hear Matteo's testimony just now about the way the Word of God has changed his priorities. How um, you know, travelling overseas is still a fine thing to do, but it's not the most important thing to do. I, just, I, I was really encouraged to hear the way that God's Word has reshaped Uh, those priorities. The the reality is the world offers so many tantalising and tasty things. Uh, It really does. And you might be tempted to think that you need to enjoy as many of those tantalising and tasty things as possible before the sand runs out of your hourglass. Uh, But you see, the thing is, as Christians, the sand is not running out of our hourglass. Because verse 3, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is the new life that we now have as Christians who are united to Jesus. The old self is dead and buried, the new self has come alive. And that life, it's, it's genuine here and now. We can confidently say that we have been raised even though the full experience of that is still yet to be, is still to come. And so it is a present reality, but The full experience is still yet to come. And that is what is hidden with Christ in God. It's kind of like yesterday. Remember yesterday we were sort of thinking about that idea that the mystery that had been, that had lay hidden for ages and and generations that has now been revealed in the coming of Jesus. Remember how Paul was talking about that yesterday. It's not dissimilar to this. We are, we have sort of become that mystery that, and we've been packaged up in glory and we are waiting for that mystery to be revealed when Jesus returns and so that's, that's what we can, how we can think about ourselves our life is now hidden with Christ in God and in verse 4 when Christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory There's a day coming when Christ will return, when Christ will appear again in all his glorious splendour, and on that day, you and I will appear with him in all his glorious splendour. Isn't that something to look forward to? Isn't that wonderful? And the thing is, clothed in his glory, we will be seen on that day for who we truly are in him. We'll be glorious will be perfect, washed, clean, forgiven, redeemed, holy. Not because of anything we have done, but all because of him. And so I want to encourage you to have that glory mindset. Yeah. Visualise yourself like that. Visualise each other like that. Visualise your brothers and sisters like that. Because that's our reality and it, and it really does completely change our approach to living here and now because what it means is that you actually don't need to live for the glory of the world anymore you don't need to decorate yourself with all the world's trinkets and you don't need to milk the world of all its pleasures pleasures and treasures you don't need to make the most of this life not not in the way that our world does because our life is not short Our life is eternal in Christ. Death is not the end. And true glory really does await us in the age to come. And and friends, I I find that this is just so liberating. Uh, So many people in our world are working so hard to make the most of the limited time that they've got in this world. And it... It creates all sorts of anxieties, worries, depression, broken relationships, separation of families. Worldly pursuit is creating more sadness than it is satisfaction. But the thing is, in Christ, these these worries no longer need to govern us. They no longer need to rule us. If you set your minds on things above where Christ is, you can relegate worldly worries to just blips on your eternal radar. You can do that. The eternal hope we have in Christ reframes this, this temporary world and the worries that are in it completely. I want to say, when I, <laughs> it took me a while to realise this as a Christian, but I always thought that my eternal life was... I always thought eternal life started after you died. Um, And the thing is, it does. What I didn't realise is that I'd already died. Um, When I became a Christian, when I trusted to put my faith in Jesus, I died that day and my eternal life began at that moment. If you're a Christian, your eternal life has already started. Your old self has died. And and let me tell you, it's just going to get better and better. And so let's start living it. And so anyway, that's our first, first point this morning. Christ is your life. Christ is your life. Set your minds on things above. The question, though, is what does life look like when Christ is our life? And really that's what the rest of uh, chapter 3 is all about. When you set your minds on things above, how does it affect your feet on the ground? Uh, well, of course, you know, there's always a tension in the Christian life. Uh, we all know how much our old self wants to wrestle with our new self. Um, my old self always wants to rear its ugly head. Uh, but you see, the first thing Paul says is, don't live as you were. If you're alive, put to death your old er- earthly nature. And there's two features of this old thing, that he, that this old self that he really zeroes in on, and, and that is the corruption of sex and the corruption of speech. So we've got to look at those two things in particular. Let's look first of all at the corruption of sex uh, from verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality impurity lust evil desires and greed which is idolatry because of these the wrath of god is coming you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived now clearly the language here is really strong right he he says kill it put it to death he doesn't just say yeah be careful of this or you know, consider changing your habits a little bit. He's not, he doesn't pussyfoot around, right? He's, he says, put it to death. Kill it. Get rid of it. These things belong to the realm of God's wrath. They do not belong to the realm of God's glory. They're not part of what it means to be a glorious citizen of Christ's kingdom. And so if you've got a glory mindset, these things... They don't have a part in that. Because they are a corruption of our humanity. They are a corruption of God's desires for humanity. And it is the corruption of sex that is first on Paul's radar here. And the question is why? why? Why is sex always the first thing in his list of moral changes? Why not greed? Why not theft? Well, I reckon one of the reasons why Paul puts it first in his list is because actually God puts sex first in the Bible. Um, If you go back to Genesis 1 and to the creation of mankind, what's the first thing that is said about humanity? God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them right at the beginning. The, the the beginning of all life is this distinction between man and woman. The Bible puts sex first, not not the act, uh, but the sexes, male and female. And sex, the activity, uh, is only sex because of the sexes. And of course, in Genesis, everything else. Close out from that, the sexual relationship between man and woman is seen as the fundamental building block to life and society. And so, sex and that sexual relationship between man and woman, it's seen as a wonderfully good thing uh, in God's creation, and it has a very good purpose. It's it's not just for self-gratifying pleasure, even though that's what that's what our world often reduces it to. It's not just about pleasure. It's it's about uh, it's about more than that it's not just about procreation either it's not just about making babies even though that is a key part to it the thing is sex is powerful and there is an intimacy in sex and there's a, and there's a vulnerability in sex and, and, and there is a purpose for sex and, and that purpose is to bind a man and a woman together in a, in a tight relational unit an unbreakable rela- to, relational unit That's what sex is designed for. And it's why sex is at its best when it happens within the confines of a lifelong, faithful, committed relationship between the sexes, marriage. it's also why it's very dangerous and very damaging when sex happens outside of that. And sadly for many people... The power of sex is only really understood through the lens of its misuse and abuse. Uh, Unfaithfulness in marriage, uh, sexual abuse, rape, uh, porn addiction. These things are damaging. And that's putting it mildly, mildly, they're deeply, deeply damaging because sex is powerful. And the sexual union is powerful. but it is there because God created the sexes, male and female. And, friends, this idea is about as old-fashioned as, old as the idea that two hydrogen atoms and an oxygen atom make water. And so Paul, I think, puts sex first because the sex is the first thing that we see in God's good ordering of, of human life. And, frankly, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that the clearest and the most immediate expression of sin's corruption of humanity, is sin's corruption of sex. Uh, It shouldn't surprise us that sexual ethics are the first thing to be relaxed in a godless culture. And it shouldn't surprise us to hear that when a person gives up their faith, it is often for sexual reasons. I don't know anyone who's given up their faith because of their passion to pursue the celibate life. (laughs) I have a very close friend who ruined his life for the sake of sex. Now I know this is a really personal topic and I know it can be a very painful topic. And I'm sorry if that's the case for you. Some of you may be carrying wounds. Some of you may be carrying shame. But the point here is sexual immorality immorality has no place in God's kingdom. It's not part of glory. And the pain of sexual immorality, it's not going to be there. It's not going to be there when Jesus returns. The perpetration of sexual immorality won't be there when Jesus returns. And as people who are in Christ, people who are looking forward to, to that glorious future with him. We need to get this right. Sexual immorality needs to be put to death. It's just not part of the Christian life. It's not part of what it means to have life in Christ. Now, of course, there are plenty of ways that sexual immorality can emerge in our life. Pornography, for example, I think is a key one that's killing our society at the moment. And if that's a problem for you, put it to death. Put it to death by starving it, (laughs) put it to death by putting a cage around it, put it to death by exposing it to the light. Uh, There's different different ways and plenty of helpful resources to help you to do that. Sharing with a trusted friend that you have a problem with these things, that can can often be the nail in its coffin. But you see, that's not the only issue, impurity, lust, letting your mind wander into fantasy, evil desires, taking what's not yours, greed, being unsatisfied, chasing more. Put it to death. It doesn't belong in glory and it doesn't honour Jesus. And it's not good for you. It's not good for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not good for your family. It's just not good for your church community. And so I want to say this with loving concern. Put it to death. The second thing Paul says to get rid of is corruption of speech. Corruption of speech. Verse 8. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. In what? In the image of its creator i being made like Jesus. Now, um, all these things that are listed here, they're all to do with the way we use our words. And I've, I've actually been reminded recently again of just how often the Bible speaks about this, the way we use our tongue. Uh, James will talk about it a lot. Uh, the Proverbs are full of Proverbs about how we use our speech, how we use our tongue. It has the ability to be very destructive, uh, also very constructive, We can use our words really well, uh, but we can also use them very badly. And, uh, And the thing with these words, and the thing with all these things that we see listed here, they're all to do with how we conduct ourselves in our relationships with one another. They're all very much concerned with how we're interacting. And if we're not using our words wisely, we will destroy our relationships. Uh, That's just a simple matter of fact. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, they all have subtle nuances to them, each of these things. Uh, Anger is to do with the desire to get vengeance when you've been wronged. It's the language of hostility. Uh, Rage is that sense of being out of control with anger. Malice is when you uh, seek to hurt someone. Slander is when you seek to hurt someone without them even knowing. Uh, Talking behind their back, passive-aggressively undermining them. And filthy language from your lips. Crudeness, crassness, planting unhelpful imagery in each other's minds through your words. These things, not helpful. Not helpful. And then there's verse 9. Lies. Do not lie to each other. Do not deceive one another. Lies are the language of Satan. That word Satan actually just means deceiver. He is the great liar. And so when we lie... When we put untruths out there from our lips, that's the language of the devil. Uh, he loves it when we try to deceive each other. He loves it when we try to deceive ourselves. But those lies, they, can, they sow untruth into our community and they corrode trust and they create division and they destroy relationships. And so these are the things that we need to, need to get rid of. We need to put these things to death. Now... Conscious that this is all pretty heavy, and it has the ability to create a sense of real guilt, I think, uh, in all of us. We immediately think, "Oh, yeah, I remember that time when," and and even now, I feel like I'm caught up in this. Not a very good Christian. Um, I want to say that one of the things to recognise here is that Paul doesn't say these things are not a part of you. Uh, he he's actually saying they shouldn't be a part of you. He he's recognising that actually this old self is going to rear its ugly head. Um, and so we, we shouldn't be proud of the things we're doing, but we should also understand that, that we've got to be realistic with ourselves, right? that, that these things are going to emerge uh, from time to time. And it's not good that we can deal with it. And it's going to be something that your church will struggle with at times, but you'll need, and you'll, you'll need to work hard At at shedding the old skin and, and helping each other shed the old skin. And I want to encourage you, don't be overwhelmed with guilt. And don't be overwhelmed with the awkwardness of talking about these things. You need to be careful about how you talk about it and how you deal with it. But don't let awkwardness stop you from dealing with it. Uh, Do something about it. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Set your minds on things above. Burn this image of Christ sitting at the right hand of God into your mind. Visualise yourself dressed in his glory on the last day. And move towards that together. By putting these things to death together. Our churches uh, really do need to be reflecting the glory of Christ more and more every day Uh, because this new self, verse 10 is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator as we allow Jesus to shape us uh, more and more we are reflecting his glory into the world around us and and the thing is this, this new community that Christ is forming made in the image of God this church it represents the humanity that God is making new and that God always intended. And in Christ, the usual suspects of human division, racial difference, cultural background, class separation, all of these things, these differences mean nothing. For in Christ, there is no Greek and Jew, no circumcision or uncircumcision, no barbarian or Scythian, slave and free, But Christ is all and in all. And the big word here is not equality. It's unity. It's oneness. Togetherness. In our difference. But it's about being bound together. By the love of Jesus. And that's why we need to get rid of these things. So don't live as you are. Instead, live as you are. And who are you? Well, verse 12. Take a look at that. What does it say? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You are incredibly privileged. Incredibly privileged. God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You belong to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth chosen by him, set apart for him, loved by him, God has set his affection on you. This eternal God who who commands everything and who has all of human history in his hands, he has set his affection on you. Brilliant. That's who you are. Holy and dearly loved. Now, I'm going to say, I, I understand why there are some people who would want to buffer themselves from various influences in this world. I do too. There are plenty of things in this world that I don't want to be defined by. But I want to urge you not to buffer yourself from God's perfection or from God's love for you. To find yourself in him is immeasurably wonderful. And as that person, you are urged to live in a way that serves this community and makes this community beautiful, actually. And so he says, clothe yourselves with compassion. These are the things we're to put on now. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, all of these things that do not seek to put you first. They seek to put others first. And the question is, how can you afford to do that? How can you afford not to put yourself first? Well, it's because you're already safe in God's love. It's because you already have fullness in Christ. It's because your eternal future is already secure in Him. You can afford to put others first because you already have the fullness of life in Jesus. And so you don't have to be obsessed with serving yourself. You can put yourself second, quite freely, quite gladly. And so I think about others. And you know, we talk a lot of in this society about mindfulness. Mindfulness is such a selfish thing. It's all about turning in and thinking what's good for me. I don't understand why we've lost the word thoughtfulness in our vernacular. We've we've, we've shifted, we've replaced this notion of thoughtfulness with mindfulness. That's just an observation I've had about the culture. Just be thoughtful. Think about others. Turn outwards. Have compassion. Think about how you can serve others. Extend kindness to them. Don't think too highly of yourself. Be humble. Don't be harsh. Be gentle, and don't jump to conclusions where you lose your cool. Be patient. Oh, I'm here. To, you're going to let each other down at times. And so, verse thirteen: Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, can I suggest at this point too that? Chances are that you are likely to be needing other people's forgiveness more than they're going to be needing yours. That's just something to think about. Maybe that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) I certainly feel as though that's the case in my marriage. Uh, But the the thing is, always be ready to forgive. Always be ready to to forgive. If someone wrongs you, and they repent and they say sorry. Be ready to forgive. It's not easy. But I encourage you to maintain that posture for the sake of your church and for the sake of Christ's glory. It is relationally destructive when we don't forgive, and it's relationally beautiful when we do. Anyway, Paul goes on, verse 14: Above all, put on love. Above all this is the Christian ethic put on love which binds everything together in perfect unity self-sacrificial service the desire to see someone else other than yourself flourish That's that's what we're looking for here it's this mentality that is going to form unbreakable bonds between you guys And it takes its lead from the Lord who loved you first. And so I encourage you, make this your cultural market. Think about the people that look on to you as a community. What are they going to see? They're going to see a community. What the heck is that? These people, actually they're not living for themselves. They're they're living for each other. When I first became a Christian, this was my experience. It, it 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 impressed itself on me so... Amazingly, to see this community of people who were not living for number one. They were actually genuinely living for each other. All coming from the love that Christ had for them. I cannot tell you how powerful that testimony can be to an outsider. And more and more so, because this world is chewing people up and spitting them out at a rapid rate of knots. And we have the opportunity to care for people wonderfully in the love of Christ. This needs to be our cultural marker. We want to talk about brands that are tattooed onto the foreheads. Here it is. This is it. This is your brand. Love. Because when you have that branded on you, you will be a community of peace and you won't be a community defined by hostility. And, and so Paul urges you, he urges the Colossians and he urges you to let the peace of Christ to which you are also called in one body to let that rule your hearts and be thankful this theme of peace runs all the way through Colossians the fact that in Christ all things are reconciled to God in him the fact that Christ has made peace by shedding his blood for us on the cross it's this peace that needs to speak powerfully into the way that you relate as a church because when it does People are going to notice, and they're going to say, that's weird, you guys are weird. You look after each other so well, you're not climbing over each other's carcasses to get to the top. You help each other out, you're such weirdos, (laughs) but it's good weird. And the other thing, you're always saying thanks, what's that all about? Christ your life, I want Christ to be my life. That's the kind of thing that we want to present to the world, isn't it? The peace of Christ ruling us, reigning in us, something we're always thankful for. Because when that happens, we're just going to have these beautiful gospel-rich communities. And I just love the picture that's painted there. Verse 16 and 17. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God, with gratitude, thankfulness in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I've got to say, you guys are kind of in a pretty lucky position to have someone as talented as Ben to lead your music, and the music here this weekend, i am got to say, has been awesome. I've loved seeing the way that we just call out songs and then you, it just responds. And, just this scene on the PowerPoint is impressive and, um, Ben's ability to it. like, it but this this notion of singing this is uniquely Christian too isn't it but we, we, it's almost like we just can't contain the goodness of God within us we need to express it we need to sing it uh, singing is such a beautiful aspect of our life together and it, 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 it adorns our meeting uh, together so keep, keep doing it let it ring out from you let the message of Christ, Christ dwell amongst you then let it ring out from you so how are you going to grow as Christians? by putting the glory of Christ at the centre how are you going to know what the wise path is for your church? by putting the glory of Christ at the centre how are you going to be motivated to put the old self's ways to death and close yourself in these new ways? by putting the glory of Christ at the centre, the word of God dwelling richly among you. Now, Colossians 3 is going to go on and it's going to talk about how you can bring your life in Christ to every relationship, husbands, wives, masters, slaves, children. I'm not going to go into the details of all that. But the big point in the rest of uh, this chapter is that in every relationship you have, think about the other. Think about the other. Think about your obligation towards the other. Don't think about self-entitlement. Think about how you can serve. That's really the big point of the rest of chapter three. This is the way love works. It's the way that society is bound together so beautifully. Now, I'm I'm conscious there's so much in this section I kind of feel as though I've fed you from the fire hydrant this morning. Um, I, 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 and there is heaps. Um, but and there is a sense of it. It is quite overwhelming, but I, I think that's okay. Because this is going to be a project that lasts forever. Uh, we're going to be loving each other forever uh, in the glory of Christ. And so there's going to be plenty of time for us to get this right. Um, but while we wait for that glorious day, I really do want you to visualise yourself there. Set your minds on the glory that awaits Let the wonderful future that Christ has secured for you, the wonderful future that is yours now, let it shape you, define you, and ring out from you. That's great. Our gracious Father, we thank you so much for this uh, wonderful letter. Uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians so rich, uh, so overwhelmingly majestic. In so many ways, thank you for the way He presents Jesus to us so fully. And as we consider um, this uh, this chapter that we just uh, had before us this morning, uh, we pray that you would help us to have this glory mindset, that you would help us to live every moment uh, with uh, the glory of Jesus at the forefront of our minds. We pray that you would use that to shape us, uh, to put to death, Those things that are unhealthy and unhelpful for our community and for us. I pray that you would help us to be clothed with unhelpful. One of our truths is kindness, gentleness, self control, patience.
2: Hearing from the Word of God from Scott, thank you again, brother.
0: Number two, the incredible work of an easy and an easy well, an easy wife, James and his here, making all of stuff happen that I don't know about happens. Number three, people choosing songs. Number four, people being members of our church for two weeks, coming here and choosing songs. And, uh, one being, the uh, well, glory of Christ, which he has to go and put it in the theme that we're going to choose from. Uh, what are we actually
3: supposed to see there. Oh. oh, yeah, sorry, oh, I suppose that's
2: not. We can't do the
0: metal version of this, I'm right? afraid. You, no. sure? you sure you should? Did it? we just yeah. save it for church with the metal version? What was that? Did we save it for church with the metal version?
2: No. No. Oh, I'm not going to Well, why not? Oh,
0: actually, Kessie wanted to see him coming. Yay!
2: Kessie deserves it. Yes, she does. does How fast can (laughs) you go?
3: Dear friends, we're going to pray together now, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace to us in the Lord Jesus, that we've been raised with him and rescued from death into eternal life. We pray for the households that we live in, for married couples, we pray that you will strengthen up and uphold them. We pray that you will help husbands to sacrificially love their wives as Christ does for the church and that wives will honour and submit to their husbands as the church does to Christ. We pray that you help us to honour and respect our parents, whether we live with them or live separately. Please give us wisdom in how we relate to them in our different circumstances. For those amongst us who are parents, we ask that you give them patience and diligence in raising their children to love and know Jesus. We thank you for Grace Youth and the opportunities that we have to proclaim the gospel to and disciple teenagers. We pray that you will help the leaders to model godly character and faithfully proclaim the good and true news of the gospel of Jesus. Please work in the hearts of these youth by your word to grow them in maturity in Christ. We thank you for our emergency services, especially our fire brigade, police officers and paramedics. Thank you for their willingness to endure dangerous and stressful environments daily in order to serve and protect our community. We pray for these workers who don't trust in Jesus. As they encounter the confronting effects of sin in our world, such as the destruction of property, anger, greed, crime, sickness, injury and death, we ask that many will find hope and meaning in Jesus. We pray that they will know and rejoice in the true peace that he brings now and will bring in the future. We pray for Katie Bellestri as she proclaims the gospel at Western Sydney University, Campbelltown. We thank you for her reliance and trust in you as she's, seen and as she's seen the group grow over these last few years. As she has a few weeks left before going on maternity leave, we pray that you will strengthen and uphold the student leaders and that more will be willing to take on responsibilities to serve you and your people. We pray that you'll give Katie wisdom with how she can best support the committee and the student leaders in the weeks to come. We thank you for the work of Open Doors and how they seek to support Christians who are severely persecuted for their faith all around the world. We pray for those who who converted from Christianity to from Islam as they are especially vulnerable to physical harm and isolation from their families. Please help them to persevere in the true faith and rejoice in being a part of your global family in Christ. We pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Time for some announcements. Not a lot this morning. We're about to have morning tea outside. Uh, We've got morning tea outside. I don't know what food is. Uh, We're going to
2: come back in here at 11.15. So you've got just over...